welcome to Simplifying DevOps, a podcast sponsored by CDW. I'm your host, Rachel Leary. This series is dedicated to breaking down the concepts and methodologies of DevOps, as well as the world known as digital transformation. We're looking to cut through the noise and break down barriers of learning for individuals who may not be developers or engineers. Welcome back. Mitch Kronbach and I are here with Mark Yorko, a principal solutions architect specializing in automation and orchestration. He's here with CDW um, to talk to us about the role that automation plays in the world of DevOps and of digital transformation. Hey, Mark. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background and you know how you become a principal solutions architect who specializes in automation and orchestration. How does, how does, that, <laughs> how does that happen? Well, um, Solution Architect is a good description of my job role. Uh, the principal part is because I met a set of criteria that was a bunch of tick boxes that I ticked all the boxes for at some point, and they gave me a, a promotion and title. So um, I think that means that, you know, the principal part is that I contribute back to my peers and the company and the community to some degree. So doing talks at trade shows, things like this podcast, writing blog posts, trainings for people. Um, you know, so I'm more than just a doer, I'm also an enabler. And then my background in automation is a culmination of about 22 years of IT experience that started in the internet service provider industry. Um, and uh, at that time I was doing general tech support learning everything and doing everything from IP networking to dial up. That was, this was in the nineties, by the way. Um, and, uh, and then learning um, provider grade networking and all the automation it takes to keep that stable and self-healing. Uh, and, and then I went into a systems management job for a hotel company. And, um, and through that job, I was basically doing everything behind the wall. So all of the enterprise networking, all the wide area networking, servers and storage, backups, disaster recovery, um, database administration. I had to learn and do it all because it was a very small shop supporting a large number of people. And um, so through that, I started learning how to automate parts of my job. Um, and this is in the days before Ansible. So for example, I needed to do configuration changes and firmware updates on about 800 routers uh, and switches um, on on some networks, and uh, I automated it using good old Expect, which is uh, a version of Perl that um, is um, a little bit more keen on automating things like um, SSHing into things and communicating with devices. And um, so that was kind of the beginning of my um, hardcore automation journey, um, and then just learning to write scripts to do things for consistency, whether it be good old batch scripts or PowerShell or um, uh, bash scripting in Linux. And, um, and then I joined CDW 11 years ago. And at that time I was a network solutions architect. Um, and at, there were no great and wide solutions for network automation um, until um, Cisco started building some bespoke tools for their infrastructure to do it. And then, um, Ansible shortly started coming on the scene, I would say around, you know, getting re a lot of interest in the uh, 2010 to 2012 timeframe uh, growing there. And, um, and then, you know, at that time, I was also doing a lot more full stack architecture. And because of that, I'm working with servers and storage and VMware and um, 
and uh, building private clouds, which implies some degree of self-service and automation. So the tools that I was using to do that were very focused on workflow automation and orchestration amongst multiple different systems. Um, so, you know, tools like Cisco UCS Director, before that it was called Cloudvia. Um, but yeah, UCS Director from Cisco, vRealize Automation from VMware were the two big ones. Um, and then learning how to augment and extend those tool sets with whatever functionality I could, whether it had to be additional scripting or uh, figuring out how to plug in Ansible into those tools, um, among other things. Um, and then VMware, we also had vRealize Orchestrator, which was you know, pretty much self-contained, but it did have a lot of great plugins to talk to different systems. And so through that full stack data center architecture uh, journey, I just came through with an affinity towards automation uh, because I'd carried that throughout my career. And I became so focused on building automation solutions for customers that uh, they created a, a new position that was focused on being a, a solution architect for automation. So I got to dive a little bit deeper and look at some other platforms uh, including things like Morpheus and um, Terraform and learning about con uh, container workload orchestration as part of that and the automation that it takes to drive that and how those things plug into the different platforms. So you put all that together and that's how I got to where I am today. Thanks for the background, Mark. Um, you're, you're sort of naturally leading us in the, the direction we want to go with you. Um, but aside from you're the only person in the IT department and you have to automate. Um, what are some of the reasons? Why do you see entire organizations moving towards a more automated management of their infrastructure? I think you could put all of the reasons under the umbrella of risk management. Now, there's some big categories of risks that we manage with automation. Um, one is uh, consistency, um, so that plays into performance, reliability, and security, you know, and, and availability of the application and meeting the uh, expectations of the applications to the customers that that application is written for. And then we have other um, risks like financial risks that come from security vulnerabilities due to inconsistencies, as well as um, financial risks from loss of revenue to applications that are revenue generating, not um, performing because of either defect or not being self-healing because of lack of automation. Thanks, Mark. We see a lot of different types of automation that are out there today solving different types of business problems, whether it you know, falls under the category of business management automation or IT management. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, we do. Um, I mean, there's uh, automation is a very wide topic in IT. I mean, there's, there's, Infrastructure automation, which is probably what I have the most practice with. There's application automation and, and uh, things like uh, robotic process automation, now really known as intelligent automation for applications. Um, and that's very much focused on the business process automation. And in some cases, you know, it started as literally pointing and clicking and staring and comparing and moving data between applications, uh, replacing humans to do that with with virtual robots, uh, software robots. Uh, and now it means so much more than that, you know, understanding um, through things like um, AI and ML, how applications should be performing or what work needs to be done um, in multiple applications at the same time, or adding auto automation to applications that don't natively support it. So that's a whole, whole category in and of itself. That's, you know, it's pretty much self-centered, um, stand on its own two feet. 
Um, so there's a lot to do there. But then we have infrastructure automation, which is very much part of the cloud operating model. And the cloud operating model is, you know, uh, has many tenants, but you know, one of them is uh, self-service, and um, and and to fulfill that consistently and lower time to value as much as possible, automation is definitely required there. Thanks, Mark. Let's dig into that a little more. I think we see a lot of talk about how automation improves, you know, software development and delivery, but maybe not as much on the operation side. So can you dive into infrastructure automation a bit more? Yeah, from infrastructure automation, you're really um, trying to become a service provider or managed service provider for your customers, whether that be developers or application owners, people who would need to get infrastructure to run their applications on uh, is is primarily who that serves and in order to do that consistently reliably um, and securely um, automation definitely needs to be driving it so that you can deliver a good customer experience something that people can count on uh, as well as something that you can apply governance to so that's the other side of the equation is being able to decide and and control who can deploy what where when and at what cost. Uh, and in, in order to do that consistently and, uh, and adhere to whatever your models are that you've created, you really need to have automation driving that as well. Yeah, Mark, you, you also, you touched on something that I think is, is something that Rachel and I have been sort of teasing out in this podcast and that's, you know, organizations becoming more agile. And when you talk of automation being a key component of operations, you know, servicing their customers, regardless of who that is, can you, can you talk about how that plays into the idea of the operations department being uh, more agile or being able to respond better to their customers? Sure. So, uh, you know, other than agile being a project management methodology or a, um, a workload management practice, um, what, what it really means to be agile is to be able to move and pivot, advance and change tracks and respond to changing business needs. And in order to do that, IT departments need to be able to deal with rapidly shifting priorities. So for example, if a lot of your IT workers' time is spent doing repetitive tasks and doing um, tasks that could be automated or doing complex builds by hand, pointing and clicking in interfaces, typing at command prompts, or manually running scripts that require interactivity, you're still burning a lot of calories there doing um, that, that, that tedious work, I should say. And, and it's you know the maintenance and operations part of it. And you're not spending a lot of time or you don't have a lot of time available to do value-added work, to build new things or preventive maintenance or um, create something of value to the business itself and not just to IT and self-serving in your infrastructure and operations groups. So the automation of those kinds of workloads frees up your IT workers time to be able to focus on those more value-added tasks, but also to be able to deal with rapidly shifting priorities. For example, when the pandemic hit and IT companies needed to change their business models to uh, serve customers in different ways and they needed to change their operating models to enable all of their workers to be able to work from anywhere um, because they weren't able to go into their offices anymore. That took a lot of effort and time 
uh, or so I should say, it take, takes a lot of effort and time away from those daily maintenance tasks. And so um, workers were having to like drop everything to build these new ways of doing business and these new ways of enabling their, their remote workers. Um, and either some of that value-added work got left behind or some of that maintenance and operations got a little bit delayed. Um, but the, um, the story there is that companies that were already automated were able to handle that shift much more efficiently and gracefully than the, those that weren't. So for example, um, if it was just a matter of deploying more um, servers for virtual desktops or application virtualization, the, the time it takes to stand that up and test it and get it ready for use is greatly reduced if it's already automated. So um, I think people were, you know, a lot of projects got put on hold when people needed to change their priorities and um, maybe that would have been different with, with automation. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think one of the one of the the ideas that Rachel and I have been playing around with is agility is good in general because you don't know what's going to happen in the future, right? You don't know what's going to happen in 2021, right? And the the more and the quicker you can respond to whatever happens from a from a macro and micro level, it, it doesn't matter. Being more agile is not going to be a bad thing right no you can't have too much agility <laughs> so help us look at at how that all starts to fit back into devops if um you know automation is is a you know maybe a cornerstone or, or fits well within that uh priority of agile to remove waste and to accelerate business as much as possible how does automation fit within devops i mean a lot of folks would, would say that maybe it is also a foundational portion within that. But I mean, if you aren't seeking ways to automate all the things, literally everything, can you do DevOps? Are you a DevOpsy company? Um, so let's pick that apart a little bit because there's a couple of questions in, in there and I wanna make sure we address all the points. Uh, we've been talking a lot about infrastructure automation, thinking about data centers and uh, hybrid and multi-cloud application deployments and things like that. But when we're you know, talking about automation, there's also a lot of automation to be done in the software development world. So automating builds and tests, automating QA checks, automating feedback loops. And that's just as much as part of automation as infrastructure automation is. And they're both important to building a healthy DevOps operational model. So if we think about DevOps and we have Dev, then there's opportunity there for Dev to not only just be a customer of automation, but also to use automation to drive their own work. So for example, you know, using Jenkins to do automated builds and testing or using code deployment tools to automate uh, deployments in your continuous delivery pipelines. Um, and so if you wanna build an automated CI CD pipeline, for example, you know, continuous integration, continuous delivery or continuous deployment, depending on which style you choose or do both, um, you're gonna need to connect the different steps together in the pipeline with automation from end to end. It may not be possible to build all that once at the same time, but the more connective tissue you build, you'll gradually get there from end to end. Now, there are some tools to help you do that more rapidly um, on the market. So, you know, 
CI/CD, I would say frameworks, uh, as well as orchestration tools to help get things from one side to the other. Um, and some of them are limited, but you're, you're trading uh, complexity for convenience and you're also trading control for convenience in those cases, which may be okay to get you started. And if it's not, um, if, just like anything, uh, adding automation to whether it be the dev or the ops or building DevOps with automation is meant to be consumed in, and practiced in an iterative way. So you start building with the smallest functional requirements that are of value to you and continue to build on that and connect the pieces together until you end up with that fully automated pipeline. Thanks, Mark. And so uh, we, we can see how automation starts to play in and, and helps folks to accelerate their business, helps them to stitch that connective tissue that you used as analogy and, and how someone might develop software um, and then pass that over the fence and manage that application on the other end. What's kind of tying it back to your, your uh, people choose to automate in order to reduce risk and, and for risk management? What's the risk in doing nothing? <laughs> that's the hardest part to calculate um, I'm still trying to learn the math to calculate the risk of doing nothing um, and I would say those those risks come from if you do nothing but your competitor does it they may be able to overtake you in some regards whether that be new lines of business or getting to market faster or acquiring companies. Um, so there's always the risk that if you don't automate and your competition does, they might have an advantage over you. They probably will have an advantage over you. Um, you know, other, other risks of doing nothing. Um, think of it like, like insurance, you know, what are the risks of not having insurance? Well, you may not, you may not realize those risks until a disaster occurs. Um, and, and they will occur. So the automation gives you some insurance to protect yourself from those IT disasters. And maybe it gives you just enough protection to allow you to address those unforeseen IT disasters more quickly and more attentively because you don't have to worry about your day-to-day -day background tasks being left unattended and you can more acutely focus your attention on solving those problems and solve them more quickly. Or perhaps you've built enough automation to solve those IT disaster problems before they occur. So that's when you get into things like intelligent automation and being able to do event-driven automation, responding to different conditions in your infrastructure or your application um, um, performance and adjust your infrastructure uh, and tweak it to, in order to be more responsive or provide better service for those applications and, and your end customers. That's great, Mark. Thank you. I mean, I think we can see now as, and, and have for the last several years that, that as organizations are being forced to respond faster and faster to whatever their end users need and the the competitive differentiation is is kind of found in IT. I feel like we're seeing more and more companies live up to that that saying that everybody is becoming a software uh, development company. Like everybody's in the software development business now. And, and I think this is more and more true when we start to look at automation and how that's setting folks apart um, from the rest of the pack. Yeah, I think the, the, the sooner that every company realizes that they're also a software company, um, there are exceptions to that. I still work with companies that 
their number one priority when it comes to acquiring new applications is that it be a third-party application, off-the-shelf software, sometimes known as COTS, commercially available off-the-shelf software. Um, that so you know those exceptions aside, companies that employ developers to develop applications that serve their business are software companies and. It's not to say that every company has to take on the practices to the degree and level that companies like Google and Amazon and Netflix and Facebook do, but to adopt as many of those practices as they can and build them into their culture and build them into their organizational um, uh, habits, then I think that they will have as much of an edge as they can get without you know, becoming um, a full-blown software publisher. So in, in that regard, you know, when every company stops resisting that idea and starts acknowledging and taking on, uh, you know, slowly at first, but um, with a steady stride, as many of those practices and habits around automation and DevOps and even SRE, which we haven't even touched on yet, but automation is also a part of SRE or um, site reliability engineering or service reliability engineering, however you want to look at it. Um, there's a lot of practices and habits there that are enabled by automation. And uh, it really is um, a hurdle to get over, I think, culturally and organizationally. But once you do, um, you'll find that the road is much more smoothly paved for adoption and enablement. Yeah, Mark, thanks for that. I, I think uh, we're just starting to scratch the surface with you. I think we, we obviously touched on a lot of different topics and ideas and um, we'll certainly have you back on the podcast to, to dig deeper into a couple of those topics. So um, we appreciate your time and in, in scratching the surface, so to speak. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's funny how when, when you get on a roll, time stands still and you, you, you kind of forget that clock's still ticking, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And I look forward to talking with you more about these topics later. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe we can share some other thoughts and ideas, but um, you know, automation is my main game. Uh, and I look forward to talking with, with everyone about that. Thanks, Mark. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening with us here at Simplifying DevOps. We hope you tune in for more episodes as we continue to dive down this path of all things DevOps and understand more about the paradigm shift that we've seen revolutionize the IT world.